Welcome to No Time to Waste, the podcast that inspires and motivates us to maximize our moments. I'm your host, Allison Haddon. I'm battling terminal cancer, but I'm focused on living my best life as my best self every day. Join me as I chat with resilient adventurers, seekers, trailblazers, and exceptionally good humans as we explore what it means to live fully because there's no time to waste for all of us. Okay, guys, Rich Roll is one of my dream guests for this podcast, and I explain why at the start of our conversation. Rich is a guy who went from basically being an overweight, overworked corporate attorney who drank too much to a sober, vegan, ultra-endurance legend who now hosts one of the most popular podcasts in the world, the Rich Roll Podcast. We talk about the athlete mindset, what fills up Rich's cup today, and how curiosity about himself his podcast guests, the physical world, and even the spiritual one beyond powers his life today. So here's Rich Roll for No Time to Waste. Here he is, man. Like freaking Rich Roll. I think I called you like the wellness revolutionary. And then I was like, no, he's like the king of transformation. I think that's 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 what I'd like to title you if you're cool with it. I mean, you can title me however you like. I mean, I will tell you that that it, it always lands a little bit weird with me because I feel like I'm just a guy following my curiosity, trying to grow, sharing what I've learned along the way. I certainly don't see myself as a as a master of of anything. If anything, I'm a facilitator of other people's wisdom. Uh, and I try to sit in the seat of the audience member and ask the questions that I think they would like to know the answer to. So, and the one, and the questions that I would like to know for myself, because I'm on this path, just like everybody else. If you don't mind, I would like to read what I put about you on my blog post back in October for my dream guest list. All right. You're going to get a little uncomfortable maybe because I'm talking about you because now, you know, I'm the ritual. I'm already uncomfortable. No, this is just a conversation. I'm comfortable with you, but go ahead. All right. So for those of you who are wondering, why why does Allison want Rich Roll on her podcast? So this is what I wrote back in October of, of last year. I followed Rich for probably 10 years now, and he remains one of the greatest transformation stories I've ever encountered. Once an overweight, heavy drinking work a heavy drinking workaholic to a sober plant-based ultra endurance legend who lives on a farm and meditates. I remember reading Finding Ultra on the elliptical at Glassdoor in the gym before work when I was injured and thinking about training for my first 50K. His podcast may have been one of the first I subscribed to years later for my long runs. And now I watch the guest he's curated on what's become one of the top podcasts in the world, how he's honed his craft as an interviewer, and I'm just in awe of his limitlessness. Plus, I love an underdog, and that's where this guy started. I appreciate that, and I will I will receive it. That's what I'm working on, being able to, to receive as opposed to just kind of, you know, um, slough it off or try to minimize it. So I, I, I greatly appreciate that. You know, I do think, to, the, to your point about being an underdog, I, I, I guess there are certain aspects of my story that that can position me in that role. But, you know, it's always important for me to recognize that, um, you know, I, I had a lot of advantages coming out of the starting gate. Like I was raised by two loving parents who met all my needs and I was, uh, you know, very well educated. And, um, 
and also was an athlete as a young person. So when I dipped my toe back into being an athlete in my 40s, I had a robust background. So it, you know, I just want to disabuse people of the notion that I kind of started from zero. Uh, I, I had a lot of advantages, you know, along the way, and all a lot right. of luck too. All right, all right. We're gonna we're not. That's it with the pleasantries. That's it with okay. the dismissing. Um, we're gonna get real here. Because, you know, I don't I don't have time to waste. I would encourage anyone um, who might be getting introduced to Rich for the first time, just Google him. Just look up the Rich Roll podcast. If you are an endurance athlete, you already know him. I have questions around, you know, <clears throat> my my pre-cancer life, my 38 years before I got diagnosed, um, being an athlete was really core to my identity. Mm. Uh, I do believe that being an athlete is more about mindset than it is about kind of physical ability. Um, but although I have far bigger things to concern myself with now, um, one of the hardest parts of my journey after first getting diagnosed was um, the physical changes in my body with treatment. I find that when I'm not physically feeling well, that it is really difficult for me to stay in a positive mental mindset. Yeah. Probably yeah. because for so for the majority of my life whenever things were tough in my head I went mm -hmm. to sports. And now I'm finding that I don't have I don't have a lot of tools in my toolbox when that physical component of, of being an athlete is is not in my toolbox anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's, I mean, I'm so sympathetic to that, to that dilemma. I mean, I know what I feel like when, you know, I go a day or two without working out and I don't feel myself. Totally. Um, but I think there's like two things at play here. The first thing is the pure kind of, uh, enjoyment that you get out of movement and, and being an athlete and how that, you know, basically, informs how you navigate the world. Like when you don't feel good, you know, you can go trail running or something like that. When you return, you're going to feel better. This is a tool in your toolbox. It's kind of how you help mitigate stress, anxiety, problem solving, all these sorts of things are, are, um, are, are helped by being an athlete. But second to that, and probably more fundamental is, is that this is your identity, right? Like it's, so it's not only that you can't do this thing that helps you function mm -hmm. at the same time, it's challenging and questioning the very essence of, of who you believe yourself to be. Like there's a dismantling and a deconstruction of that. Yes. And I think that's, that's probably, I would suspect the harder hill to climb. Um, and all I can say as somebody who, who, you know, I, when I talk about these kinds of things, I always just try to share from my own experience. Mm -hmm. Like I certainly don't have the experience that, that you have had. And I, it would be, you know, absurd for me to try to, you know, to try to really truly empathize with what you you have to contend with every single day. Um, but I think the, the opportunity, if there is one, is to say, all right, this tool has been removed from my toolbox. I now need to develop new tools. It's compelling you to, to look um, inward on a more profound level to try to connect with something 
greater than this like crafted identity of I'm an athlete mm-hmm. to a truer, you know, more timeless essence of, of, of who you are. And in that, I think there's plenty to, to, to be mined and to explore as, you know, a spiritual being having a human experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've, that's the, that's the path. That's the journey that I feel like I'm on right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, um, when I got sober in my early twenties, I kind of went on my first spiritual quest, you know, and sought out answers and trying to define, uh, a power greater than myself that made sense to me. Um, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, so much of, so much of being in the pain cave, so much of the kind of grit and resilience is mental, right? If you can, if you can, control your mind, you can control pretty much anything. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you ever found yourself in a situation in life where physically you just weren't able to, you weren't able to trump what was happening physically with your, with your mind? I mean, obviously injury, but yeah. Yeah. I've, I've certainly had those experiences. You know, I think any athlete will tell you they go out for a training session, they bite off more than they can chew and, you know, they just don't have it that day. I've DNF'd races. So I've been there just like, you know, everybody else. And I think, you know, what I try to learn from those experiences is the difference between when the body simply won't cooperate and no, you know, mental powers are going to overcome that versus identifying when you're, you're being a little bit mentally weak and you're allowing your mind to shut down your body. And, and, and that gets blurry when you start, you know, pushing the envelope of physical capability. Um, a lot of athletes, I think, you know, will, will overtrain because the mind is so strong and they can make the body do things that it probably shouldn't be doing. And that's what Mm -hmm. leads to injury and things like that. Um, but I've certainly been in situations where, you know, I lacked the mental reservoirs to, you know, overcome whatever challenge I was facing. And, and, and that's happened to me in the physical context, but it's also happened to me in, you know, and probably more poignantly and importantly in trying to navigate, you know, emotional issues and Mm -hmm. relationships and things at work and profession. Like for me, um, you know, I've been sober for a while, so it's very rare that I'll have a craving for drugs and alcohol, but I've got plenty of character defects that crop up on the regular. <laughs> and the crazy thing about alcoholism is that when they're, when, when I'm sort of, you know, um, feeding those character defects, you're not aware that you're doing it when you're doing it. It's only when they're reflected back to you by somebody else or in the aftermath of some scenario that goes sideways that you can develop the objectivity to, you know, look back on that experience and say, wow, I didn't really handle that very well because I wasn't as mentally or emotionally or spiritually fit Mm -hmm. as I could have been had I been more on my game. And, you know, so I think the, with that, you know, it's about being gentle with yourself and understanding that, you know, we're not all perfect all the time. We shouldn't Mm -hmm. set ourselves up for, that kind of disappointment and just to try to be as present as we can and as grounded as possible as we, you know, walk the planet earth and do the best we can and give ourselves a break. 
you yeah. know, we're all so hard on each other all the on ourselves all the time. Rich, you're just like dropping, <laughs> just drop a drop and dropping stuff, man. Dropping bombs. Well, here's the, here's the other thing I would say to you, and that is that you said that you know being an athlete or or being fit and you know expressing yourself physically was your one tool in your toolbox. But you've been sober for a long time too. You've got mm-hmm. lots of other tools, and I think what happens with athletes in recovery when we get a little bit lax with our sober program is we start to make fitness our higher power or we kind of over index on the importance of that in, in, in its relationship to our sobriety. Totally. Um, that's certainly been my history. And I always have to like remind myself and come back to the real core principles of, of being sober and how do I express those in every facet of my life. And I would suspect that those principles have been very powerful and profound for you as you try to, you know, navigate the experience that you're having right now. Oh yeah. I mean, anybody that knows me, you know, I was very active in AA, um, in my early twenties and later in my twenties, um, the one of the greatest lessons that I learned in the program early was uh, the value of being of service, right? And the fastest way to get out of your own head and the self-centeredness that happens with all humans, I think, to some right. degree, is to put your focus on helping other people. And um, I learned that in the program. And that has been the gift of everything I'm doing right now with this podcast and with speaking engagements is the freaking impact that it's having on people. It wasn't my inner voice that was able to motivate me to do anything Mm -hmm. or get up out of bed. It was the messages that I would get from people and the reminder that like, I need to keep doing this even if I don't want to, because Mm -hmm. it's giving me a sense of purpose. It's giving me accountability and it is, it is being of service. And yeah. that has been the only thing that's like literally gotten me out of bed some days and like kept yeah. me moving. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful act of, of Seva to devote your life to this mission and to be having these kinds of conversations. Um, I'm sure it's not the easy choice and I'm, certain there's days that you don't feel like doing it or you don't physically feel up to doing it. Um, so I, I, I commend you for that. Um, and again, it goes back to, you know, sitting in rooms and listening to people sharing their stories. I mean, that's where I learned everything, you know, not only about how to be a podcaster, but how to, you know, live my life as a, as a grown up in this world. And it always comes back to service. Um, the only thing I would, that jumped out at me at what you just said that I, that I wanted to comment on was you said that you, you wanted to make sure that your life, like part of your reason for doing this in addition to services, you wanted your life to have meaning. And I would just, you know, stress upon you that had you never started this podcast or you made a decision to not be of service in this particular way, that of course your life still has meaning, right? Like your the, 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 the meaning of your life will not be calibrated upon your works. It stands outside of, outside of that completely. Yeah. Um, and to, to be gentle on yourself in, in, in that regard. Mm, and so I also hard. think, yeah, I would imagine, you know, I would imagine, um, I also think, what was the other thought that I had? Um, oh, it's that, uh, 
it's that I think it's really important and powerful what you're doing for a separate reason, which is to normalize is the wrong word. I don't know what the right word is, but to have, to be so frank and and comfortable with the situation that you're in and mm. to be so free in how you talk about it, I think is incredibly healing to a lot of people. I mean, the, the kind of conventional um, manner in which so many people approach somebody who, who has a grave illness is fear-based. Like they're afraid mm. of interfacing with that person. They don't want to say the wrong thing. And so they'll kind of avoid that person. And then it creates all this weird energy around mm-hmm. that type of relationship. And for you to just be an open book about it and to talk about it in the manner that you do, I think is, is you know, really instructive for people who, you know, at some point in their life are either going to fall ill themselves or encounter a loved one uh, yeah. who is in that situation. Or like have to go through trauma, right? It doesn't always have to be mm-hmm. illness or anything physical. Like, sure, you know, my gosh, anyone right now living in, you know, these unprecedented times um, <laughs> are, are everyone's grieving, right? There's there's been major loss, and I don't even mean loss of life. I think I think the world has had to confront their mortality in ways that they haven't in the past because of this pandemic. But I also think that the world has had to grieve and is grieving the loss of so much connection and so much of, of the joys of everyday life. Um, that my hope is that I would love, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that people can glean tools and, and, and tricks and tips on how to actually navigate some of this stuff. And, um, part of this quest that I'm on is getting to talk to spiritual leaders, but then also talking to, everyday Joes, uh, like you and me and finding out like, how do you talk about it? You know, like mm-hmm. I, I, w- I, because I believe that it's the, it's the silence that for the, the griever, you know, and the person that they are grieving for, like, it's the silence where I think the loneliness yeah. and the isolation lives, um, mm-hmm. at least for me. And I'm working hard to try and kind of find the find the tools to talk about things more frankly so that the topic of of me with my loved ones isn't always shrouded in morbidity and darkness and Mm -hmm. sadness like I want to find a language so that we can talk about it while I'm here also like just as you sort of dismissed things initially I also want to say I'm just living my life. I'm just doing my thing. Like what would be the hardest mm-hmm. is if someone was like, why don't you just sit with your thoughts and just be a cancer patient? Just be, mm-hmm. just be right. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like I got to have a goal. I got to have something. I got to have something I'm driving towards. I've got to, I've got to feel like I have purpose. I got to feel like I'm helping people. Like I'm not going to sit around and wait to die. Like that's just not mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, at all, but when the but when the darkness descends from time oh, to time, does. or you feel like indulging, you know, in that in that in that pity party, like what is it that you you know what what are like what do you go to to pull yourself out of that and to show up? What I found in January is I'm not very good at it. Um, partly mm-hmm. because when I'm not physically feeling well, 
that's when I just, um, I isolate and I pull away from people and I don't want to be vulnerable and let people see or hear me not being upbeat and positive. And I, and I just, I just pull away. Also like a like definite healthy dose of denial because this whole thing Mm. is still bananas. Um, Right. You know, I, I, I text, I emailed you earlier. Like I haven't been able to hear for like a, a week and I thought it was, and today I woke up and you know, it was in the other ear and there was a very real, possibility that there was a brain tumor that had popped up that was pressing and I went to the hospital this afternoon and didn't know if you and I were going to get to talk you know um Mm -hmm. and then it turned out to be okay and then it's like okay we live to fight another day you know yeah so not so much denial that you don't go to the hospital and check it out but just enough denial so that you can function as a you know seemingly normal normal person on the daily yeah. <laughs> and that's good. If I just keep moving, like I don't have to feel, you know, um, which is lovely, yeah, right, uh, even right, if right. I'm not physically. Uh, and that's that's very much uh, an endurance mm-hmm. athlete thing, too. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of endurance athletes, a lot of people in recovery that end up in endurance mm-hmm. sports um, who have an unhealthy relationship with it because it is all about like being a moving target. As long as I'm running and moving, then I don't have to sit with myself and really marinate in my pain yeah like that sounds terrible that sounds awful don't know Uh uh-uh and that's that's like the that's Uh like the hardest part for me i want to i you know i spent the last couple days digging back into into some of your some of the some of the greats some of the pod greats um but i specifically Mm -hmm. then re-listened to an episode that you did in 2015 um with your wife um, that was very much, I think it was called D is for death. Um, and I also mm-hmm. listened to a more recent episode that I think you taped in 2019, but you aired it um, on my birthday, actually, last year. I remember listening to it the first time um, with Guru Singh. Um, and he talked about his experience losing his grandchild, um, who right. uh, was only on the uh, on this earth for 36 hours. Um, and he talked about tragedy and loss, but I would love to get your, what's your perspective on, um, you know, what happens, what happens after, what happens after this physical world and has it evolved over the years? If we only knew, right. I I mean, I think first of all, in preface to answer that, answering that question, I do think, and this goes to. Uh, you know, another reason why I think what you're doing is so important. And this came up in that podcast that I did with Julie is the extent to which we, you know, whitewash death out of our experience. Like it's just Mm -hmm. something we're not supposed to talk Mm -hmm. about. Um, It's not in our line of sight, even though everybody dies and people are dying all around us all the time. You don't see it. You don't have a tactile relationship with it until somebody that you're close with is in that situation. And as a result, and, and, you know, all of media and kind of everything is pushing us away from being in an emotional relationship with death. So we all know intellectually that we're going to die, but I think 
most people, myself included, delude ourselves into thinking somehow we're going to dodge it. We're going to be the exception or we block it out of our consciousness to such a degree that we don't spend enough time, you know, contemplating the, the profundity of death and how without death, our lives would be moreless and without meaning. It is only in, in relationship with, um, an appreciation for death that we can fully appreciate the lives that we have. And, you know, the Stoics talk about this. This is ancient wisdom that finds its vein and, you know, every kind of, uh, you know, spiritual pursuit. Um, so, so I've worked hard to be in a, in more kind of emotional contact mm-hmm. with that. Um, and, and probably more so this year than any other year. My, my, my grandfather, who I was named after died of a heart attack at age 54. Oh. He was a swimmer. Like he, you know, I never met him. He died before I was born, but in so many ways without knowing it, like I've kind of, um, mimicked his life in, in certain mm-hmm. regards. And, and I sort of look like him. Um, and the fact that he died at 54, I'm 54. So that's been top of mind for me this year and in, in, not in a morbid way, but in a, in a healthy way that's, that's helped me to appreciate, um, appreciate my life a little mm-hmm. bit more, uh, in depth than years prior. But as to what happens when we die, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have any, <laughs> any wisdom on that other than that. I think that the universe is so vast and that our, our, our senses are so limited, um, and that we are very, um, hubridic and, in, and, in, in our sense of what we're capable of understanding. Uh, and I, I really think that most things um, live and breathe outside the human brain's capacity to fully grok. Um, and that doesn't make me scared. That's where faith comes in. Like I believe that there's so much more going on around us that we're just not able to comprehend in the way that you know, uh, you know, if you if you were to stumble upon a squirrel, uh, that squirrel, you could talk to that squirrel for the next twenty years. It's never going to understand the, the human language. It just exceeds that 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 life form's ability to comprehend. Um, and I think, you know, death and the way that we perceive time and space and all of these things um, play into that. Uh, so with that, you know, I think that there. I think that the soul is eternal, and that there is a is a a, lim, a space in which it will it it exists, you know, beyond the parameters of the human body. As to what that looks like, um, who knows? I certainly don't. When you think about, so I love everything you just said. I talk about it like <clears throat> similarly. You know, I I say like how how narcissistic, how self centered is it of us to think that our little human pea brains right, could wrap our heads around the vastness Mm -hmm. that's nature, this earth, this galaxy, the universe, how, how, of course, we can't understand it. We're like ants, Mm -hmm. like, we're, you know, it's ridiculous to think that we, we are at the center of everything. Um, And I'm, I have found comfort in thinking about you know, how this, this time on earth, maybe it's just one chapter in a journey, right? And that maybe Mm -hmm. 
especially when you talk to people who've had near-death experiences or, I mean, Guru Singh talking about his experience at 20, basically with the with an NDE and near-death experience, traveling to the other side, mm-hmm. ha- meeting people, and then he ends up meeting them later. Like, it was bananas, his story. You guys should yeah. listen to it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. But there's, there's a, I mean, there's so many accounts of that, right? There's so much data that supports the fact that people who have um, lost brain function um, or, you know, uh, were essentially pronounced dead for a period of time who then are resuscitated or brought back and they say, why did you, why did you do that? And they are actually kind mm-hmm. of angry because whatever was on the other side was like so much fucking better than what we're doing. Right. Like this deal, this deal's nothing, right? We just don't have any proof of that, obviously. But I hold on to that hope now and go, yeah, maybe I'm just going to move on to whatever that next plane or that next place or that next life is and look back at this and just go, oh, God, like, if only I had known, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. if only I had known, I, I, I would, I, I would have told myself not to be so scared. And mm-hmm. then I go, mm-hmm. well, wait, what if I'm wrong? And I go, who the hell cares? Like, what's right. the, what's, what's the harm and what's the harm in believing, you know? Right. It's also interesting how you know, people who've had those NDEs, like the, the, the stories are, are fairly consistent mm-hmm. across the board in terms of what people's experiences are. Yeah. Do you believe in uh, past lives? I believe in, pa- I believe in past lives to the extent that I think that we don't experience time as it truly is, but as a construct that our brain can comprehend. You know, there, the, 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 you know, physics will tell you that there is no sort of past, present, and future, that all of these things are happening simultaneously in multiple dimensions. And I think that that brings up, you know, some version of, of past lives, but maybe not in the strict kind of um, Eastern, you know, Vedic mm-hmm. notion of, karma and returning to, you know, learn lessons. I think it's probably more complicated than that. Got it. I was wondering, yeah, listening to the Guru Singh episode, I was like, this is getting, this is getting, we're getting into it. Like we're getting, we're getting pretty (laughs) woo. Uh Uh-huh. You can get woo? I I can get, I can get woo. Um, The things that I talk about that I ask every guest, so no time to waste is, it's all about, you know, Crafting a life without regret, uh, confronting, well, first, confronting mortality. I did a lot of research around death anxiety and terror management theory and the reasons why we as humans have such a difficult time um, confronting this universal inevitability, right? That that somehow, because we're survivalists, you know, we we think, even though it doesn't make logical sense, that like we'll find some way out, um, which mm-hmm. you mentioned, but- no time to waste is about confronting that mortality, um, crafting a life without regret, and maximizing moments uh, with the three things I talk about, focusing on gratitude, human connection, and joy. And I ask every guest, um, 
what does that kind of mean to you and how do you how do you maximize your moments so that at the end of your day you look back and you go man that was a that was a day i did it what are the things that come to mind i mean i think you know for me in recent years well let me back up like um creating this podcast and kind of the vocation that I have now, you know, was very difficult and it took a tremendous amount of work. And I think for many years it was driven out of fear and desperation and also, and also ego, like wanting to, you know, do something meaningful and wanting to put my stamp on the world and wanting to make a difference and, you know, wanting to be seen and heard and validated and all of those things. And I'd be lying if I told you those things still aren't important mm-hmm. to me because, you know, in the, in the most petty way they are. But now I'm, I'm in this situation where, where, um, you know, what I, you know, what I'm doing and what I've done is, is being recognized on a, on a level that most people don't, get in their life. And, um, and, and I'm financially stable and I can provide for my family. So when you think about, you know, the hole in your soul that you're trying to fill, like, you know, I, I basically have everything that I need and need and have ever wanted. Like I want for nothing, which can create another form of existential Mm -hmm. crisis because, you know, if you've arrived at this destination and it's not fulfilling that, you know, that drive for happiness that you thought it, that, that it would deliver on, then you're going to have a big problem. And, and the truth is, is that, that overall I'm super grateful to like get up in the morning and do what I do, but that gratitude only comes with practice. Like it's, it's not my natural disposition or state. Like I have to really, you know, focus on it in order to connect with it. And with that, like my goal as of late or over the last, you know, maybe beginning, maybe about a year ago is just to figure out how to like find more enjoy, like personal enjoyment, what I'm doing. Like, I want to have fun. Like I want to like not be stressed out and anxious about this podcast guest Mm -hmm. or, you know, be, you know, running doomsday narratives in my head. I want to just be able to be present and enjoy my life because, when you're so driven, you're missing, you're missing, you know, the miracle that's happening right in front of you. That's Um, what I want. And I, you know, I want to, I, right. uh, Yeah. And I just want, I want to be present for my family and my kids. I've got, you know, two teenage daughters right now who are going through a lot. The pandemic has been very challenging for them. And I don't want to be the absentee workaholic dad who's not around. And, you know, I want to, you know, I want to be there for the hard times and, and, and the good times. And I, there's nothing, you you know, people ask me all the time, like, what is, you know, what's the big vision? Like, what are you working towards? Like, what's the next thing? And it's, you know, I have goals and projects and things that I'm pursuing, but, you know, ultimately, like, if this was it, like, I'm cool. Like I, you know, I, I feel proud of the work that I've done. I feel proud of how I've showed up as a, as a sober man in the world, trying to be of service in a way that is um, helpful to, to other people. And it doesn't need to be any more than Mm -hmm. that. You know, it really doesn't. That's it. It's it's the, you know, it's, um, I, Rabbi leader, we were talking and, you know, he's like, what we've all learned in the pandemic is like, good is great. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's what I feel like my life is now. Like, 
my bar is so low. <laughs> right? Today I was like, <laughs> I can hear. And I was like screaming outside the hospital. Right. I was like, so I'm like, it's not a brain tumor. Um, but man, what a what a crazy, what a crazy trip. And let me ask you this, how long are you able to hold on to that before you go back to, you know, a default setting where you're concerned about matters frivolous? Like are you able to I don't to like, really yeah, you know, it's like I, I, I don't I don't really concern myself with like the small stuff anymore. Um yeah. because and and I, I have a visceral reaction to it as well in terms of content mm-hmm. or people or like it's just so hard for me to relate to right now. Cause I'm like, I'm living scan to scan I want to grab everyone and remind them like, this is, this is all you've got. This is all any of us have got today is all that's guaranteed. Tomorrow is not. And I don't know if it's possible to have people really get that message without going through their own trauma or tragedy or loss themselves but I'm going to damn well try. That's beautiful. I so, so appreciate this. Um, your time, uh, you know, I, time is our most precious commodity. So I am so appreciative when someone is willing to give me their time. So thank you. Very happy and grateful to share this space with you today. Thank you. Bye, Allison. Take care. Okay. So if you really want to maximize your moments, you could pitch in and help us get the word out. Just rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That's it. Oh, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss future episodes and bonus content. For more motivation, head to notimetowasteproject.com or join the squad on Instagram at notimetowasteproject. Grazie mille.